Hello and welcome to St. Paul's United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew. It's great to have you listening to our sermons this way. If you'd like to learn more about St. Paul's, you can find us on our website, www.cherokeemethodist.com. You can also come and check us out in person if you're close enough. We have Sunday school on Sundays, of course, at 9 o'clock, and then worship at 1010. Now, last week, or two weeks ago, I should say, we started looking at what we call the major prophets. And if you've listened to the last two episodes, you already know this, but just a quick review. Major prophets of the Old Testament include those who had a large impact on the Israelite people or those in power during their ministry. Most of the major prophets, all except Elijah, have large books attributed to them. And so, you know, Isaiah, for instance, who we talked about in the last episode, has 66 chapters in his book. I mean, it's a large book for sure. Uh, Jeremiah, who we're talking about today, has a large book as well at a whopping 52 chapters. Not quite as large as Isaiah's, but still pretty considerable. And so these major prophets are called that because of their influence and the size of their books, basically. And we also talked about the role of the prophets, and that is that uh, contrary to public, you know, popular opinion, the prophet's role is not to foretell the future. They're not fortune tellers. They they call power to account. They, they warn people to turn back to God. And if they tell the future at all, it's the immediate future, and it's very conditional upon whether or not the people turn back to God or not. Now, as we look at Jeremiah, one thing that makes him unique is that there's more information about his personal life than we get from any other prophet. Uh, he's called to preach to the southern kingdom of Judah before the exile, similar to Isaiah. Jeremiah witnesses the fall of Jerusalem in the aftermath, so we know what happens to him during those times, whereas with Isaiah and most other prophets, we don't know what happens to them. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he cries for his people and what's happening to them, the destruction that they have because they don't listen to his message is so heartbreaking to him that he he's cries and so he's known as the weeping prophet. So what message is Jeremiah called to preach? Well, as it says in his call story in chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 4 through 10, his message is one of digging up and pulling down, to destroy and to demolish, but also to build and to plant through his words. So that would be like words of warning and condemnation, but also encouragement. It's not an easy message. Now, in some sense, Jeremiah has a similar message as the other prophets, right? That main message being that destruction is coming unless you repent. You know, foreign invaders are going to come and destroy your country unless you turn back to God. And the message is that God is not pleased with their feigned attempts at civil religion, meaning keeping up the appearances of religion, doing all the right things, the visible practices, going to, going to the temple, offering sacrifices, all these things. And, you know, chapter 7, in, in chapter 7 of Jeremiah, verses 1 through 11, is all about this. It's all about how the people assume that because they have the Lord's temple and they're worshiping at the Lord's temple, that they're they're saved, they're protected. 
And so people cry out, the Lord's temple, the Lord's temple. But Jeremiah says, what matters is not whether or not you have the temple or whether or not you're offering sacrifices or all those things, but what matters is treating people justly, caring for immigrants, orphans, and widows. In other words, the vulnerable. He says, do you regard this temple, which bears my name, as a hiding place for criminals? Jesus says something very similar when he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Well, the people didn't like that message when Jesus preached it, and they didn't like it when Jeremiah preached it either. They liked just being able to go to church and do all the outward religious things you get credit for without caring for or taking time for social justice. You see, they had the form of religion without the power. You know, it's like biting into a sandwich. But when you bite into the sandwich, you realize it's all bread. There's nothing inside. That's that's how their religion was. They had the form of religion, going to church, going to different things like that, but they didn't have the power. They weren't caring for people. They weren't loving people as they were called to do. And later on, you know, Jeremiah preaches this message, you got to return to God. You need to do the things you, you should be doing, otherwise destruction's going to come. But Later on, as the exile gets closer, and it seems like an attack is inevitable, his message changes some. He says, you know, his message basically changes to, this is going to happen. Destruction is coming. And his message now is, submit to the enemy and live. But if you try to fight against your enemy, you're going to die. Now, can you imagine how that went over? Well, how would that go over in America today? You know, if if in America today we were being threatened by a foreign power who wanted to attack us and undo us and destroy us as a nation, how do you think a message would go if somebody says, look, guys, we're not going to defeat these folks. They're, they're, they're just too powerful for us. They're better than us. So the best thing to do is to submit to you, to the enemy. Because if we just stop fighting and give up and submit to them, then then we'll live. We'll live in their foreign land, but we'll live. Whereas if we continue fighting stubbornly, we're just going to die. How do you think that message would go over? Probably not very well. And probably those in power are not going to listen to that message. They're going to listen to the message that says, we are America. We are the most powerful nation on earth. We can defeat anyone. We can do anything we want. We are going to fight. That's the patriotic message, right? That's not the message of the prophets. That's not the message of the prophets, and it's certainly not the, pro- the message of Jeremiah. So it's a very unpatriotic message, very unpopular. Everybody else, all the other prophets are saying, go fight against Babylon, you're going to defeat them. And Jeremiah is the only one saying, no, you're not. So as you can imagine, Jeremiah faced great personal rejection and turmoil. They put him in prison. They sentenced him to death. Nobody is listening to them, and so as a result, destruction is coming. Now, Jeremiah is is in and out of prison at different times because many people still respect him. And of course, his message turns out to be true. Go figure. Those who submit to the enemy live in exile. Those who don't are killed. But either way, they lose. This is about the time in the scriptures when when we get to that famous 
passage in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you peace. It's a famous scripture at graduations. It's pretty positive. It's also a passage we've taken out of context over and over to say that God has a wonderful plan for your life. In context, this scripture is addressed to those living in exile in Babylon after the attack has all happened. And the message is saying, guess what? I'm not going to forget you. After 70 years, you will be able to return to this land and rebuild. Okay. 70 years. That's not great news if you were alive then. If you're like 20 years old or older, or even younger than that, that's not great news. You know, that means that you're probably not going to live to see it. You're probably going to spend the rest of your life living in a foreign land. So, you know, that's not a great plan. Many people would say, that's not a great plan for my life, Lord. I'd like something different. But that was the reality that they were living in. And so, you know, like many scriptures, this scripture is not meant to be addressed towards people individually. It's being addressed to a nation. People back then were not concerned so much with as much about the individual as they were the collective whole. And so this was addressed to the nation of Israel. God's plans for the nation of Israel were to prosper them and give them peace. He's not going to forget about them as a people. And so, you know, Jeremiah witnesses all of this. He witnesses the exile. Uh, He himself chooses to remain in the land uh, where there's also a lot of political turmoil. That's kind of how the story ends. What a depressing, demoralizing life. You know, you, you're called to preach the same unpatriotic message and then you get imprisoned and ignored and then you see your nation and your people destroyed because they refuse to listen. No wonder he's called the weeping prophet. How does he know he's making a difference? The next book after Jeremiah is Lamentations. It's a book that's attributed to Jeremiah, even though there's no real internal evidence that he was the author of it, but it's attributed to him because it is a lament of the destruction of Judah, and it's in line with the themes of Jeremiah. All right, so what does Jeremiah have to teach us? Well, first of all, the message in the story highlights the dangers of nationalistic distortions of religion. The Israelites believed that they were the greatest nation on earth, they were the greatest people on earth, and that they could not be destroyed because God was on their side. Why? Because of the presence of the temple, because they were doing their sacrifices, they're doing all their outward religious stuff, you know, but they had the the form of religion without the power. And indeed, not only were they doing the outward forms of the faith, but they're also attaching God's name to whatever it is they wanted to do. So they're justifying whatever they want to do as a nation by attaching God's name to it, right? So somewhere along the way, they lost their vision of what they were originally called to do. They forgot to care for the poor, the immigrants, those who are not compensated fairly for their work, the oppressed, the marginalized, etc., And so, you know, Jeremiah emphasizes the importance of personal holiness, but also social justice. Both are important. 
And that's what I mean when I talk about nationalistic distortions of faith, is when faith is more of a mascot that's used to support whatever you want to do as a nation, rather than actually seeking to follow what Jesus taught us. So that's something that all nations have to uh, fight against, you know, fighting against that temptation. So that's one thing. Second, like Isaiah, it emphasizes the, uh, the gravity of sin, of course, and the importance of having repentance. And third, given that Jeremiah was fighting a losing battle with his message, what kept him going? You know, how, how can you keep going when you feel that all is lost? Well, there are no easy answers, but remain faithful. Keep going. Now, remaining faithful does not necessarily mean being successful in the way we think of success. Usually we think of success as being something that, you know, sometimes in, uh, in, the, in the church, but also in the secular world, we think of numbers, numbers of people or dollar signs amount of money given. And we say, if we're faithful, we should be successful. But that's not always true. Sometimes we have to separate the two. Sometimes the test is remaining faithful to what God has called you to do, even when that means you're not going to face any outward signs of success. But you're faithful. That's not easy. But we have to persevere. You know, in life, we don't always see the fruit of what we do. And it may be tempting to think that we're not making a difference. But whether or not you think you're making a difference by being faithful, you are. You may not see it yet, but remain strong. Amen. God bless and have a great week.